All good now? Good to have you out with us. See the lights on again, see your beautiful faces. Always encourages me. Um, my name's Jason. If we've never formally met, love to connect with you straight after. We will hang around uh, for a bit for coffee and tea. Please do stick around. Some food too. Uh, so I'd love to get to know you that way. Uh, we are, we're in a series. I'm going to jump straight in because there's a lot I want to talk about today. And um, we're in a series called Anchor. So if you've missed any of that at all, we are now on Spotify. Or as a wee man in the Swiss says to me one time, Spot Ify. So if you're on Spot Ify or Spotify, um, do go there, uh, SoundCloud, and um, also on our website, iTunes and iCubes and all sorts of things we're on. And you can ask your friend, what do you call the girl at Amazon? Alexis, I'm sure she'll get you there too. So anyway, we're on that. And... Um, Okay, okay, just to say the talks are out there and you can listen to them, okay, there's lots of ways to, to connect with them. But um, yeah, so we're in the series, I really enjoyed last week's talk, I'm not just saying that, Michelle did a great talk um, on faithfulness and faith, I would go back and listen to that again on just, well, we don't partner with disappointment, it's an anchor that, of God's faithfulness and uh, we get around faithful people and we also connect to the community of faith. And I thought she did a sterling job last week, very brave, very courageous, and she didn't miss the mark when she spoke last week. And so I want to pick up on the theme this week again on the church. I thought this would be an easy talk, but where do you start and where do you end when we begin to talk about the church as an anchor? And how would people react to the church as an anchor? Because our anchor is in Christ. But all of us throw our lives into things, right? Whether that's sport, music, family. And there are anchors, really, what we're doing. We're putting anchors down into different spheres, different spaces of life. And not all of them are bad, but not all of them are brilliant for our lives. But one of the good things that, that God has called us to be part of is this church. Jesus lived an extraordinary life. You know that if you read the Gospels. Um, it's a fact that Jesus existed. That's a historical fact. Historic, historical fact. Uh, that's true. He lived an incredible life, and he died an excruciating death, and then he returned to the, the Father's side, and he left us a new way of living. He left us a new way to do life, and also, he just didn't leave us with a new way to do life. He left us with a new, a new group of people to do life with, and that is the Church of Jesus Christ. He gave us what we now call Christianity, which is not a religion, but it is a radical way to live, and he gave us a church. The church is the people with whom we do it with this new radical way of living, this new life, this new found home that we've all come to experience, those who have fallen on its mercy and grace. Let me read you a couple of quotes, if that's okay. You'll probably never remember them, but I hope that they feel your soul this morning and engage you as I uh, continue in this conversation. Rick Warren, good friend of the Finyard, actually modeled a lot of what he did after meeting a guy called John Wimber. Rick Warren said, I love the church of Jesus Christ with all my heart. Besides her errors, as a result of our sinfulness, it remains the most ever magnificent concept that has ever been created. And I hope that maybe through this conversation today and through Jesus and through gathering as a community of faith that you would say that I love the church with all my heart. And that's a good statement to make. Augustine of Hippo, he said, he cannot have God for his father. He will not have the church for his mother. And then John Calvin, the reformer, he goes on and he takes us to just a slightly greater depth than what um, Augustine did. He said, I shall start then with the church into whose bosom God 
is pleased to gather his sons and daughters, not only that they may be nourished by her helping and ministry as long as they are infants and children, but also that they may be guided by her motherly care until they mature and at last reach the goal of faith. For those, who, for those to whom he is father, the church may also be mother. C.S. Lewis said the basic laboratory for knowing God is the Christian community, the church. And so here at Vineyard Church in Ghana, we want to strive to be that laboratory. We want to be that place, that space where everybody is welcome to the table. And that's why we have community groups also. We want to be that space where we love the church, all the church, in all their splendor, in all their color, in all their differences, and be that welcoming community that Jesus had planned for us right from the beginning. And God has fasted in us hope. He's fasted in us hope and a healing for our community. And that comes through the church. It's a great responsibility. It's not a heavy thing, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful responsibility that he has fasted in us hope and healing. Not just hope for hope's sake, not so that we feel good and we can pick ourselves up on a Monday morning, but actually we can extend an overflow to hope for those who need it in our community and those who are in our family and those who we connect with on a daily basis. This is an anchor. It's something that we... We should be proud of. It's something that we should engage with. It's something that we should steep our lives in. It's a community of faith. And this is who we are. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Many of you have had your life enriched by people around you. Many of you have had your life enriched actually by people who are sitting here in a black chair today. Have a look around the room. Our lives have been enriched. We have been encouraged on our faith, we've had people sitting beside you today that are, are, are building into your life. Small thing, example, when we first moved to Dungannon, uh, Michelle and I, Caleb was uh, learning to spread his wings a little and he had a, a bike and so we were letting him go to school on his own and then one day we let him go a little further up the road. Well, we didn't know, he headed up the bush road on the bike. And so he was away for a while and uh, we were a little concerned, but not too, too concerned. Maybe that's bad parenting, I don't know. And so he came back, so he said, Caleb, where were you? He said, oh, I just went for a run. It was a warm day. I called in with uh, Uncle Brian and Auntie Diane. And I said, oh, that was good. What did you do? Oh, we just had a conversation outside. And Brian gave me a drink. Now, I've had one of Brian's drinks, and I was concerned <laughs> at that stage because... If you've ever had a drink of Brian's diluting juice, or as we like to say in dairy, alcomodary, dilute the taste, uh, Brian can be quite strong with his measures. And so, thank goodness, that was the only thing that he gave him that day. But it's a small thing, but it's family, isn't it? It's life is enriched by those in the community of faith. And it's not that our lives are not rich, enriched by family and friends outside the community of faith, but God has placed us in family and community in the church so that we would grow in our faith. We'll find that out a little uh, later in this conversation. But that's a small thing, right? And all others of you have had your marriages blessed, strengthened, intimacy brought back, because people have prayed with you, walked with you, talked with you, encouraged you in that special calling to be husband and wife. Others 
have had people lay hands on you. You've had sickness in your body. You've had pain in your body. Somebody's come alongside you, maybe on a Sunday morning, maybe in a chair, maybe in a community group, maybe up here to my left and to my right. They've offered to pray with you as we do every Sunday. It might seem like a small thing, and it does seem like a normal thing, which is good for us, right? We want it to become normal. But many of you, I'm sure, have come up here, had somebody lay hands on you through the conduit of the Holy Spirit when the Spirit of Christ comes on you and heals you, and you've had your body restored. Three people. Three people. It's a beautiful thing. She is such a precious and beautiful thing. Can anybody concur with anything that I've said this morning? Yeah. It's all good. Many of you, myself included, through church, through the community of faith, have found a comfort like no other in times of mourning and pain. And she's beautiful at that. Paul writes to his church and says, comfort with the comfort that you've experienced. And there's no greater comfort that we have that we carry the Prince of Peace in our heart, the Spirit of Christ to His peace. It's not just an idea. It's not just an emotion. It's actually in a person. So many of you have experienced through the local church the comfort that Christ brings through people that are around you. There's this beautiful moment I'm going off tangent. It's a, it's a very distressing moment in Christ's life when he walks to the garden and he brings his friends with him, the close, close friends. And that night, nothing was going to change. Everything was still as planned. He was going to die a brutal death, excruciate in pain, be totally humiliated. But what he did need that time and that moment, which is totally uh, head-tilting to me, is that he needed people to be with him. Christ just needed somebody in the garden of anguish. And so all of us have experienced the beauty of what church is. And maybe we might dare to say, like Rick Warren said, we love the church with all our heart. We love the church with all our heart. There's this Old Testament picture in Deuteronomy. I love it. If you have a Bible, would you turn there? Do you need a Bible? It's January. It's a great time to practice a new discipline of reading ancient scriptures. Um, hope that you're doing that. There's lots of ways to do that through apps and through your phone nowadays, but also paper. If anybody wants one, we have somebody giving them out. If you don't have one, take one home with you. So I'm going to give you time to turn there. I have put scripture on the PowerPoint today because we're going to, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to use quite a few scriptures this morning. So just to save time from you turning there. But Deuteronomy is one of the first five books of scripture. It's called Pentateuch. And uh, this Bible, which just means book, that's why I refer to it often as ancient scripture, because it's more than a book, it's actually, it's a library of 66 books, and so to try and read it as a book is just a huge, huge task for, for anybody. So this is book number five from the start. Book number five, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Are we there? Doing good? Good. Okay. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord. This is an Old Testament anticipation, by the way, of what's now a New Testament reality. It's something that we're experiencing here in 2019, sitting here in Dungan and County Tyrone. So this is way, way back, way, way back. This is a picture of what's happening around the world today. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all peoples of the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. And that's a great verse for the vineyard. For you were the fewest of all people. 
But it was because the Lord loved you. That's why he does that. Listen, this is what I want to say to you. And if you're, you'll probably hear lots of things today, but I want you to try and, and remember some of the things that I say today. And I want you to remember this. God loved us enough to choose us. He has chosen enough, chosen us enough to treasure us, and he's treasured us enough to count on us in his own, and he's put his affection on us. He's put his affection on us. Let me say that again. God has loved us enough to choose us. He has chosen us enough to treasure us. He has treasured us enough to count us his own, and he's put his affection on us. I love that, that he's put his affection on us. So I don't take kindly to people bad-mouthing the church. And she has made many mistakes through the year. But God has put his affection on the church. He loves her. He has chosen her. He treasures her. And he has a purpose for her here on earth. Yeah, you have personal relationship with Jesus. It's one of the things, the unhelpful things about Reformation. And guys like Martin Luther... They, what they did is they gave us this freedom to find Christ personally, but then what they did was they secluded it to this oneness, this, this personal thing, this singular thing, so it became detached from community. And they probably had reason why they wanted to go so extreme in that because of the church in that day. But one of the unhelpful things was that then we, from Reformation, out of that we've had this solo walk alone, you and Jesus gospel, which was never the gospel that Jesus intended for us right from the beginning. God always intended us to live in community, to live out in community, to walk in community, to learn in community, to celebrate in community, to mourn in community, to live in community, to read the ancient scriptures together in one voice. In fact, many of the scriptures, if you read them, the book of James particularly, if you read the book of James, it is not written to, in singular uh, vernacular. It's not written as one per, to one person, but it's written to a corporate group of people. It is in the context. You can't read that book without the context of being corporate and together. So anyway, that's just by the way. So you have personal relationship with Jesus individually. Yeah, you are called, but placed into the family of God. I want you to hear that. You are called. You have personal relationship with Jesus, but you're called into the corporate. You're placed into the corporate, into the family of God. We are part of God's corporate intention here on earth. Do you know that? God doesn't have an individualistic thing. He's not, you know, the, the day of the superstars. That's why Vineyard, that's why I love this movement. That's why I love this people. That's why I love this tribe. That's why we've invited them next uh, Sunday night. Please, if anything else, back me, will you? Come out next Sunday night. I've got a lot of peers coming. I need people on seats next Sunday night. All right, so if you know people, pay them a fiver. You can get the fiver reimbursed. Um, no. And uh, so be out here. But anyway, all that to say this is that God has intention for us. He has affection for us. He has us on his mind, and he loves us so much. And he intends for us to do things together, not solo. That's why we have no superstars in the vineyard. The days of superstar Christianity, I think, are over, and thankfully so. Normal, everyday Christians living their life following Jesus are the real heroes of the faith, and it happens in corporate it happens in family, and it happens in church. Remember, in the 80s and 90s, we had all the big names, and they were great servants of God, but God's not looking for a big name. He's just looking for warm hearts and places and spaces where he can usher the kingdom of heaven in. And I love that this can be a place for that to happen. This is a beautiful place for that to happen. I'm always just 15 years in, none of this was planned. India, never on the cards. 
France, never on the cards. Feeding the poor and the broken and becoming a place known for its generosity and its compassion outside of our walls. We never really planned that. We had dreamed about it and hoped, but the, what God did is exceptional. And it happens with willing hearts and surrendered people. It's a good thing, isn't it? First Peter 9 and 10 says, you were a chosen people. This is a, like an echo of Deuteronomy. So we're now in the New Testament, Peter. He's writing to us. And here's the echo. Here's what it looks like. Here's the shadow that bounces off Deuteronomy. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. The language there is very, very, um, very carefully written because the first church, the first picture is Israel. And here is Peter now talking about a nation, a people, and that's us. He says, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, right, corporate, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a responsibility. What a responsibility. Once solely trusted to the nation of Israel, it's now ours. It's now in our hands. And it's a beautiful thing. This is the age of grace, people. This is a beautiful thing. This is gospel grace in practice, the local church. This is the language. This is the very sound of Scripture happening today. And sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we're looking for something bigger, something more significant. But I've got to tell you, you might not like it. You might want to find another place, another space, but this is it. And you're it. And it's good. It's good. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to shirk responsibility or shrink back in it at all. But we're it. We're it. And like I say, it might never be spectacular, but it is always, always significant. It is power, and God pours his power over it. In church, maybe we've painted a picture that we have it all together. See, the language of this chosen people, sometimes I used to, I used to get uncomfortable with it, just to be honest with you. Chosen people, it, it sounds a bit pretentious, doesn't it? And us living in Northern Ireland, you know, us poor us, we're the humblest of humblest people, aren't we? Yeah, but we do love a good fight. But we're really humble at the same time. And uh, so when it comes to language like chosen people, it sounds like inclusion, exclusion. Who gets in, who gets out? How do we do church? And sometimes the church itself throughout the history has painted a picture that it's only for people who have it all together. The people that uh, have their life cleaned up or people who believe a certain set of rules and, and people who whatever, whatever that scenario is in your mind that you conjure up but we've also we've always had well at least i have i can't speak for you i've always had this sort of this chosen people thing is ah if i'm talking to people about chosen people some people are in some people are not but a guy called rowan williams have you ever heard of him he was the archbishop canterbury a while back he said it brilliantly many years ago i think he was talking to the methodist church in the united states and so this is what he said and here's the paradox in terms in the term chosen people you hear it so often as an exclusion, exclusive, sorry, closed-door notion. Whereas what it ought to be about is hospitality grounded in the hospitality of God. Oh, I just love that. Such sweet words. Such graceful words. The church should be the most hospitable place on earth. Let me read that to you again. Whereas what it ought to be about is the hospitality grounded in God's hospitality in the hospitality of God. What kind of people are we? He says, a chosen people. We exist because of the decision of God. What kind of God? A hospitable God, whose love is indiscriminately welcoming. 
Isn't that who he is? Indiscriminately welcoming. The church is called to be, to call to indiscriminately welcome. The vineyard is called to indiscriminately welcome. A while back when we first planted the church, it used to be, people used to say it as a slur, but we would meet people and I would talk to people and uh, they would say straight to my face, they said, oh, you're the vineyard, you're the church that takes anybody. And I thought, yeah, I guess we do. And it was like, you know, you, you know, anybody can go there. But it wasn't like a, anybody can go there. You're the church that takes anybody. It was you're the church that takes anybody. People like you. <laughs> and you. And me. And, and as I sort of got over myself as the years have gone on, touching near 50, wouldn't think it, would you? Whatever. I've come to take it as a compliment. It's a picture of the church that Jesus Christ gave his life for. That surely we would be the church that would take anybody. People like me. <laughs> and allow them to preach. What a kind people we are. So what does the Lord require of us, Vineyard? What is it if we anchor ourselves in church? And church is a good anchor. Don't don't ever rubbish that. Don't ever think that it's even heretical that our anger is in Christ. No, we put our lives into things, like I said. We put into football, music, people, superstars, business, economy, Brexit, dear Lord, and all other sort of things. But also, this is a good thing. This is, this is a good anchor to put your, your life into as a church. In fact, the man himself, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, said that he gave his life, his one and only life, for the church. He loved it that much. Okay, so can I have a few minutes and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the responsibility and what we're called to? You up for that? So in this world of shifting sands, what does he require of the local church? What does he require of her? Let's read it together. Ephesians 4, 46. Again, for sake of time, it's back up there. This could be your lucky day. I'm losing my voice. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of it all. Who is over all. Who is over all and through all and in all. You got the picture right away. What are we called to? What are we called to? The world is watching and it's craving for a community that is united in its values. United in its values and its cause. Unity, oneness. One body. One church. And we're part of that. And the beauty of it, that God ordains that. And he also ordains diversity. He calls us to unity, but he ordains diversity. I know that to be true. And we thrive when we're in that unity. And he longs for that. But he has placed us not to be people that are all the same, but he has to pla placed us to people of diversity. Different flavors and sounds and different colors and, and, and different ways of doing church. It's a beautiful thing. You know, when God looks at the church today, he doesn't have his favorite label. He doesn't have, you know, the Baptists are not his favorite people, Vineyard, Roman Catholic Church. He sees the church of Jesus Christ and he sees her spread out, reaching the world with responsibility. We thrive in unity. We're blessed in unity. And that also means not just the whole church. You see, I, I sometimes get around Christian leaders and they're big on let's all get together and sing songs together. 
And I'm like, that's okay. It doesn't really excite me. But I, 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 I want to know, what do you like in your own family? Right? What do you like in your own family? Because actually, the, the, the scriptures teach us that we are to look after our own family, and then we're to proceed out into the world. That we're called to, you know, that's what he talks about. He said, guys, you've got to look after your family. You've got to look after the family of God. So this thing called unity starts here. Unity starts in family, not by trying to rally hundreds of different churches. And those things are good. I'm not disparaging those things at all. But it happens in the local, in the local context. Ephesians 4, 7, and 8 says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ appointed it. That is why it says that he ascended on high and he took many captives and he gave gifts to people. We're given different gifts. Gifts, I love that. It's freeing that you become yourself, that you are yourself, but you're in a family and you have responsibility. And we're not all called to the same things. We're all called. God has placed gifts just randomly and, and graciously. You see, when Jesus went back to the right-hand side of the Father, when he died that excruciating death, when he went back to the right-hand side of the Father, he poured out the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit then did, he just liberally distributed gifts. And the picture that Paul probably sees in his mind, I'm conjuring up anyway, is when Paul's in house arrest, when he's writing to the Ephesian church, and he's sitting there, and he's looking down the street. And I, and I imagine that this text is taken from Psalms, right, when, it, when, when generals would take captives. And what happens here is that happened right through Roman history. And when Roman armies would invade and flip me, they, they, they wipe out everything that stood in their way. They were a very invading people. And then what would happen when they went into battle, they would just take everything that was there. They took all the spoils, the gold, the money, all the stuff. And what would happen is that they would have this victory parade, this triumphal parade, and they would march down the streets of Rome or wherever they were coming back, but usually heading back into Rome. And the streets were filled with crowds of people cheering them on. And what would happen was the general, who had all the booty with him, all the stuff with him, he would just liberally fling the spoils of war. Randomly, exuberantly, and generously to people. And they were the better for it, receiving it. And therefore, this analogy is brilliant. Who is our captain today? Who is captain of the Lord of hosts? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. What Paul's saying is Jesus, when he looks at the church of Jesus, when he looks at his church, he just indiscriminately, generously, lavishly throws out gifts to his children. He has taken captive the enemy of our souls. He is the one true general who has totally defeated the enemy of your soul. And in that moment, he has taken the spoils of war. He has taken the gifts that God has stored up in heaven. When God has sitting at the right hand of heaven, he's given them to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just lavishly here, there, and everywhere. And I love this text of scripture. Actually, the vineyard has this text at its core. It's who we are. We've poured time over it and practice over it. Time and time again, we've poured our best thinking over this text of Scripture. And we love the gifts of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit are not toys to be played with. They're not for great meetings. They're not to show off. They're not to grow large churches. And they're not trophies for a mantelpiece. They're not something that we read and theologize over and debate over and think about and, and read and try and get the Greek and what does it look like and what does it mean to eagerly desire spiritual grace? What does that mean? And, and all that. They're not to be uh, theorized and they're not to be played with. They're given to the church of Jesus Christ. Firstly, the gifts are given to the church for what? 
Anybody want to have a guess? So that the church would grow up before we grow old. And God actually has, in our house, when our boys were growing up, I'm sure it's happened in most houses that, um, that we live in, if anybody has family and kids, uh, you, had, you had a post at the door, right? You had a door frame. Did anybody do this? And when your kids got a certain height, you did a wee nick? Yeah. No? Did we do it? Yeah. And then we painted over it. Okay. So, so when the boys got nick, got nick, and God has a nick for the church. He's got a nick for the church and its maturity. It's that we wouldn't be tossed about by, well, let me read it for you. It's, he's looking for responsible, active churches, active people. That's what he's doing. He's looking for responsible, active church so that what? So that we bring hope and life to the world here, near, and far. That's why he gives us gifts. That's why he wants us to anchor in unity. This is what he says, Ephesians 4.13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? What does it say? Mature. It's not there. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's quite a big statement, isn't it? That we would attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. It's maturity. So what does he require of the local church as we come to a close? We stand in unity. We stand together. We, we celebrate our differences. We love that we're, we're all different people. But unity starts here in the local church and throughout the body of Christ. The world, society is looking for a church that's united in cause. United in vision. Society does not need a wishy-washy church. They're looking for a church with backbone. They're looking for a church that has realism and authenticism. Is there such a word? There is now. He's looking for a church that takes her responsibility seriously and just doesn't read it, but actually lives it out, that loves one another, that comforts one another, that cares for one another, that bears with one another, that, that looks after the marginalized and the poor and the broken. This is what society wants. Society does not want us to defect. Society, society does not want us to water down our theology, our thinking. I have a great, great friend who lives in Armagh. He is brilliant and fluent in Irish language. He's a brilliant accountant, brilliant businessman. He's just a great guy to be around. His background is Catholic. And we had a chat one day. He knows what I do. And his whole thing for me is he's fallen out of love with the church because he says this all through the churches. Uh, and I'm not having to say it because it's not being said. It's already out there. The church has gone through. The Catholic church has gone through a hellish time with, with all that's going on there. And so he says to me, his pain with the church is the church has become secular. I thought, sorry? Come again? I, I don't get that. You mean worldly? Yeah, they come worldly, and, and that's a bad thing for you? I said, yeah. The reason why it's in sexual immorality is because it's become secular. The reason why it's, it's lost its way is because it's become secular. And we never, ever want to give the world the kingdom without the king. That's what it means to be holy. To be a holy church means that we just don't give the benefits of the kingdom. See, I don't want to be a justice maker without the just one in my life and in the center of it. We are not activists. We are worshipers at heart. Worshipers of God, and then we become rescuers of men. Does that make sense? Let me finish with this. 
Albert Camus was born in Algeria. He was a philosopher, a novelist, a journalist. He was a member of a resistance against Nazism. And uh, he was an atheist. But his words helped me to help us be the church. Let me read you his words. He has become for many throughout Christendom a voice that challenges us to live gospel grace, to be the church, to anchor ourselves in a world full of evil. He saw the world as absurd and only the honest response is revolt. But here's the revolt. He says this, what the world expects of Christians is that Christians should speak out loud and clear. This is an atheist. That they should voice their condemnation in such a way that never a doubt, never the slightest doubt, could rise in the heart of the simplest person. That they should get away from abstraction and confront the bloodstained face history is taken on today. Isn't that powerful? From an atheist who's calling the church to task. And all the time, we, we're doing the crazy. The church is doing the crazy. We're trying to water down and we're trying to dumb down. And all we're doing is, is inflicting more virus on humanity, more sickness, more pain. And they're looking for a healing solution. And we have the solution. We have been called to be the children who walk in unity, who live responsibly and walk in the light. That's what we've been called to do. And that is our anchor. And I hope that someday, and maybe today, we would live our lives anchored in community of faith. Not disparaging of her, but loving her as she is. God has loved us enough to choose us, chosen us enough to treasure us. He has treasured us enough to count us his own, and he's put his affection on us. Would you stand?